Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Self Love and Shadow Work podcast. I'm here with my friend Amanda Kennedy. Hello, Amanda. So, Gully, hello. <laughs> so, tell us a bit about yourself, about you know what you do, and a bit about your story. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So, my gifted English name is Amanda Kennedy. My gifted spirit name is Kawasanahawi. I'm from Oneida First Nations, Onondaga. I am Haudenosaunee, and I'm Bear Clan. I am an Indigenous woman innovator and a serial social entrepreneur. So I own three different social enterprises. Uh, one, the youth-led uh, social enterprise, Yotini, where I do a lot of healing work with Indigenous youth, their families and communities. And then the second social enterprise is Kawasanahawi Enterprises, where I do a lot of educating um, mentoring and coaching, business coaching for Indigenous communities, but also a lot of educating in institutions, non-Indigenous institutions, as well as in the Indigenous um, organizations and communities as well. And then my third social enterprise that I'm actually just launching in 2022 is called She's Listening, and that is where I'm going doing um, I have a Rogers show coming out where we're, I'm going to be introducing London community to the Indigenous communities, local Indigenous communities, so Oneida, Chippewa, and Muncie, First Nations members. And I also have um, some online courses and some other stuff coming, just continue the educating and healing journey and helping others on that journey as well, too. That's amazing. So tell us a bit about your story, how you kind of found all of this, how you uh, got on this path. So I, I myself, I am the granddaughter of residential school survivors. Uh, so all my grandparents were in residential schools. Uh, my parents went to Indian day schools, which were the next type of schools that came out after residential schools. So the same concept of residential schools, the same thing was happening in residential schools and Indian day schools. The only difference is the children were actually allowed to go home at night and didn't have to reside there. So. I, that is where my parents went to. They went to Indian Day School, and I actually attended an Indian Day School. When I first moved back to this area from Calgary, we moved to my First Nation. I attended the Indian Day School on Oneida for a year, and then we moved to London. Um, moving to London in grade one, I then had a lot of experience. My parents wanted to move us off the First Nation, off the reserve, because they had grew up on the reserve. They grew up with a lot of violence, a lot of like alcohol, um, just a lot of negativity. And they didn't want us to struggle and deal with that and the brokenness in our communities. So they thought that um, moving us to London, Ontario, that we were gonna get a lot more experience. Uh, so we moved to London, we got into uh, low income housing and Sadly, my experience, even on my first day of school, coming home to my dad, you know, saying, what is a dirty Indian? Like, what is, why were the kids hurting me? Why are they throwing things at me? Why is the teacher calling me stupid? Like, why am I experiencing this type of deal? And my dad, I remember being in the backyard and my dad, my brother's little brother's playing. They're like two, three, we're all close in age. And he's telling me, like, this is how they treat us in you know, this world, like they don't like us, us people, and us being the Indians, uh, indigenous people and told me, you know, I had to learn how to, I had two choices. We have a choice. We can either be very quiet, you know, not seen, not heard. And that way we won't be a target. That way no one will hurt you, you know, or you can speak up and fight for yourself. 
But if you speak up and fight for yourself, then you're a target. And you need to you need to learn how to fight because you're physically going to have to protect yourself because these people are going to hurt you. Like not even just trying to call you down, but they're actually physically going to attack you. It happens everywhere we go. Me being a really sensitive person and you know intuitive like that and with people's feelings, I'm like, I didn't want to hurt people. And so then I, I remember this conversation as a six-year-old child and saying, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt people. And my dad saying, well, what about your brothers? Because my brothers were going to be starting school just after me. And they were brown. I was fair-skinned, so they didn't know I was Native right away. But as soon as they found out I got attacked, my brothers, they were going to know the second they seen them, they knew that you know they were going to they were indigenous and so he's like they're going to be attacked too and they're going to have to fight so you can either go to school and learn how to fight and protect yourself and protect your brothers or you can go and be silent but they're still going to hurt you but hopefully they'll leave you alone if you just you know disappear and i thought about my brothers and at six years old i decided okay i'm going to become an advocate i'm going to become a fighter i'm going to go back to that school i'm going to speak up for myself i'm going to learn my truth and i'm going to fight and i literally had to go back to school that next day and physically fight and physically fight almost every day and the teachers the students the parents and i couldn't believe like what a fight it was and things started slowing down because people started seeing me as a fighter but then my brother started school and then all two two different kinds of fights started now not only was i fighting for myself now i was fighting to protect my younger brothers who are being attacked now too because the people in their classrooms their teachers didn't know better my classroom my classmates my teachers knew better now but i was still fighting though it wasn't like but it was perfect and they stopped and so I had to fight a lot for my brothers and being like the uh, only like five indigenous people in a school of 300 kids, like that's a, a hard, hard ratio fight. So I, I was in, I had to actually get a bodyguard and ask my cousin to be a bodyguard. So we had to split it up and say, okay, I'll fight. And I'm in grade one and two. And I said, I'll fight the kids up until like grade four or five. But I can't handle the grade six, seven, eight kids. They're too big for me. and They're too tough. So he's like, okay, I'll take on the bigger kids. You take on all the smaller kids. And we'll both help each other to take on the adults because it's going to take both of us to, to fight the adults. And that was the agreement we made. And we went back to school and every day we had to protect our younger brothers and sisters. And I... So I became a really good fighter. And not only did I learn how to use my voice, but I was really good at using my fist too. And I never backed down from a fight and I was always able to walk away from every fight, no matter how many people were there attacking me. I was blessed to be a good fighter. And so then we end up moving across the Warncliffe Road into another neighborhood in Manor Park. But in that neighborhood, there was like 70 First Nations housing units. So there was a whole community of First Nations people. So even coming from one side of the street and moving across the other side of the street and going to a different school, it was different because now I had about, you know, there was maybe about 300 kids in that school, but about 50 of us were Native. So there was a lot more Native. So I had a community. So when I moved to Manor, that's when I got community. That's when I found family. That was our First Nation. Because when you don't live on your First Nation and you're in a city, you're outcasted. You know, they don't respect you. You're not, you don't have, you can't access the services down there. You can't, you're not welcome down there. Uh, so it's sad, but it, it's the truth. And so 
that was our my community that was our my family and we stuck together we protected each other and i was finally around other indigenous youth that could fight they didn't really know how to use their voices because they were never taught how to use their voice but they definitely were taught how to use their fists and they were tough and so then and i was the go-to person because i knew how to use my voice and so at nine years old at six years old, I had to decide to, you know, stick up for my, myself and my brothers and take on that role. At nine years old, I was now amongst a community of Indigenous people that were being attacked by the teachers, the students, the parents, the store people, everywhere we went. And I thought, you know, I need to use my voice. So at nine years old, I take, I said, okay, I'm now going to be an advocate for my community, for my, my people. And that's when I started using my voice then. I became the go-to person. I... You know, it was brutal to watch what my peers and I were going through. All our parents, some of our parents are residential school survivors. A lot of our parents went to Indian Day School. All our grandparents are residential school survivors. So it's that truth. I seen why we were broken as youth, why our parents weren't able to support us the way that they needed to. And it was a harsh truth to witness watching my peers struggle the way that they struggled, being attacked by the police, you know, then getting into the court systems and then being attacked in there. So then I went in there and used my voice in there. I used my voice at the school and I fought everywhere they went. When we got older and children got involved, I started fighting with CAS and family court. And I just really learned, I've got really good at fighting people and arguing people and speaking truth and calling people out. And so I opened up another business because in 2010, my friend was murdered. And it was that harsh trauma, that darkness that I felt and I seen, like I was facing, I finally firsthand figured, felt that trauma and what it does to you and how it can totally steer you in a bad direction. And it was that point there that I'm like, I have a choice now. You know, and there's no supports out there. I can't access my traditional supports because I'm outcasted. I can't, I don't understand spirituality. I've colonized youth. I'm marginalized. I'm, I'm been traumatized through my experiences. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I have no choice but to lead down the road of addictions. And I didn't want to become another missing and murdered indigenous woman. And that's what was happening. I was fighting hard not to become another statistic and not to get swallowed up by that and so i decided i was going to go on my healing journey and it was the hardest thing i ever did but it's the best thing that i ever did for myself and i started looking at that facing that stuff and looking at that trauma and sitting with those feelings and really documenting what was happening so that i could develop programs for indigenous youth that we're going to that we're going through the same thing that me and my my peers went through because all that experience is so i and then i decided to open up another initiative i went came back to london opened an initiative in 2012 did some more community work some advocacy again got back into the courts got back to fighting everything again for everyone and then i opened up my social enterprise in 2016 which is the Otani. And I started bringing out programming for Indigenous youth on trauma, healing, intergenerational trauma. Like just, I started off with just simple programs, but once I started getting more, doing more work in my community, I realized that I had to really dig deep into that healing work. And so that's what I did. I went further into my healing work and the more healing I did, the more I was able to produce for my community. And so now Yotani is going to be six years old and on January 26th. 
And I opened up Gowesanahawi in 2018 because Yotani struggled so bad as an indigenous grassroots organization. Nobody wanted to support that. Everyone wanted to support the institutions, the colonized work, but not the decolonized work. So I faced many barriers as an entrepreneur and being an indigenous woman, being you know all the barriers that I faced as a youth, I now faced as an indigenous woman trying to get into business. So I fought hard for Yotani. I, I ended up opening up a second social enterprise, Gowesanahawi. I thought, what am I good at? I'm great at arguing with people, I'm good at art, calling people out, and I'm good at educating people. So I thought, there we go, I'm just going to get into consulting and coaching and educating. And I was, I'll see how this goes. I opened up in 2018 and it blew up. And I, I, I had a gift. I have a gift of educating people. I have a gift of holding space and speaking truth and helping people process that truth. And I started working with that gift and it just got stronger and I started working with more people and word of mouth, like people found out about what I could do. And I've just got a lot of opportunities or many opportunities over the last three and a half years now, because uh, Gowesanahawi is going to be four years in March. And so I've been in the universities. I've been, I taught for a Catholic school board, London, Thames Valley District School Board, many Indigenous organizations, non-Indigenous organizations. Um, yeah. The city of London, I've been training some of their people and just getting in everywhere and doing a lot of work. So doing a lot of work that is then now creating a lot of opportunities for my Indigenous people. Because then I got into um, coaching Indigenous women entrepreneurs and teaching. I brought the concept of social entrepreneurship and in social innovation into my community because I knew that it was a perfect fit for us, that they just had to understand what it was. So in 2020, I started introducing it when the pandemic hit. I had a contract to introduce this whole project and do it and we pivoted online and I still pushed through and was able to help many indigenous, amazing indigenous women, not only break through their mental health and do some healing work because in everything that I'm doing, always doing the mental health work and doing the healing work as long as while you're learning because that you gotta do both. You gotta grow with what you're learning with. And so I, I worked with a lot of women and they are opening up their social enterprises. Like they, it changed how they handled the pandemic. So something that, or sadly, a lot of our people are struggling with. The women that I have coached are, are all still flourishing, and they're pushing through this pandemic, and they're opening businesses during a pandemic. That are all these social enterprises are bringing supports programs back to our communities. So I was able to invest in other people and share all the knowledge that I I have gained through being a colonized Indigenous youth. From being a marginalized Indigenous woman entrepreneur, I now mentor and guide Indigenous youth and women on their journeys so that they can fight through these battles because I know what it's like to break these barriers and face all of these. And these systems are set up to for us to fail. And I should have failed thousands of times by now. I should not be where I am. But because of the resilience, because of my ancestors, because of who I am, and my indigenous blood that, you know, I, I am here, I'm a fighter and I keep pushing through and I keep fighting and I'm breaking barriers, but I'm also um, clearing the way for many other indigenous youth and women and men to do the healing work and, and, and non-indigenous. I'm paving the way for a lot of non-indigenous people too, to educate themselves, to humble themselves, do the inner work and then together, all of us together, working together doing the outer work. You know, it's all about learning, healing, and growing together.
So those are, and now I'm bringing up another business where it's going to be a lot more of the healing work, deep, deep digging more into the healing work, working with both indigenous and non-indigenous, building communities and of people that want to make change. Because I, I learned myself that you can't tackle the systems, but if you can help the people and the people do the work and then they start making changes, that's where that's where the real change is going to come. So that's where I'm going to invest in next where I'm going next that's amazing that's you're absolutely right everybody has to kind of do their part everybody has to um, take their uh, role take their accountability in uh, healing and healing all everything um, all the generational curses all the generational trauma and yes it, it sucks but it is our responsibility now in the present to do that yes yes so you kind of touched on it, but I'm going to ask you uh, again, maybe you can add a little more to this, but how has shadow work played a role in your story? It's, it played a major role. Like I said, when my pivot point was a really dark point and I really had to look at the dark side of things, the harsh truth and that harsh truth has been buried. It's been buried within ourselves by the trauma that we've gone through. It's been buried in by our intergenerational trauma. And then society has done a great job of fooling everyone and educating everyone the wrong way so that it's been buried as well too. So I could see that when I first had to face that, why people like it, it, it breaks people. I can see why it can shatter people. I can see why it destroys people and it overwhelms people where they lead to addictions. They lead to hurting themselves because it's just so overwhelming. And it was that point that facing that darkness that I realized that like, that's where the real healing has to go. Like you really need to do that healing. And I didn't even realize what, how dark that, how much that is, how much that was there. Mm-hmm. And so I think even facing it then, and a lot of times people do healing work, and, and once you do healing work, you, you, know, you obviously feel better, but they don't realize that that's layers, yeah. right? Because people think, okay, great, I'm going to go to counseling for a year, and then I'm going to deal with this one situation, and then I'm good. But no, mm-hmm. like anyone that got, is in their healing journey says, okay, no, you're, you're just beginning to do the work. It can yeah. be an amazing experience, an amazing journey, but it's also going to be it balances itself out. It's you're gonna have to deal with the negative as well as the positive, and I think that on my healing journey, and even with my businesses, like I had to deal with a lot of darkness with my business. I had to face a lot of harsh truth with my own community, with my own family, and with society and these institutions and how even these foundations and charity, all this stuff is set up is like so much darkness everywhere. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people walk around with either their eyes closed or a lot of people have the privilege that they don't have to see that darkness. You know, they don't have to face that. And being indigenous, being, you know, colonized and now decolonizing and being marginalized and traumatized. It's like I had no choice all my life but to face that darkness and to witness what was the truth. And it was now that I'm you know, grown and mature and I've been on my healing journey for 10 years, then I'm seeing that that darkness is what really empowered me. And now it's like I, I turn that vulnerability into strength. And a lot of people are scared of dealing with that that shadow work and, and looking at the hard stuff. And 
accepting it, you know, because again, when you when you feel that, that it's so overwhelming, it's so hard to emotionally and physically deal with that. Again, people shine away from it. They they go away. They try to get away from it. With my own experience, it was that's where the real healing came. Was when I finally allowed myself and said, "Okay, you know what? You need to face this darkness." And I faced the darkness, and it was scary as hell, and it was hard as so hard. I was like, "There's times when I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I'm not going to get out of this." But then afterwards, I'm like, "Wow, it was so empowering. It was mm-hmm. so such a learning experience." And now it's like. You know that shadow work doesn't scare me. If anything, it's like, oh, let's go. Okay, yo, I see you. Let's 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 deal with you. Come on, let's go, let's go. You know, before I'm like crying and begging, no, you know, and being the victim. And, yeah. You know, I, I've been there, and and yeah, it can be so scary to deal with that. It's like, it light works easy. You know, yeah. dealing with that yeah. and learning how to meditate and learning how to connect with crystals and energy. That stuff's easy and that stuff's fun. And I did a lot of that work first, kind of avoiding the dark work, avoiding the shadow work. And yeah. then finally it's just like, okay, you're doing great on this side, but you got to get that balance. So yeah. it was time to do all the, the shadow work. And uh, now that I'm through it, I'm still going through a lot of it, but now that I got did a lot of the shadow work, I'm so thankful that I pushed through that scaredness and mm-hmm. courage. I, I was brave and pushed through that. And now I, now I develop supports for other people to go through that. I develop yeah. courses, I develop workshops, I mentor people, I guide people, I coach people because I know how scary it can be to go through that work by yourself. And especially if you don't have the tools and you need to find those tools and learn about what is happening and how to even deal with it and then how to fix it and how to move on from that and continue to heal from that, that stuff's hard. So. I think it's great that when people, and again, when, when you learn into this stuff, until you get right deep into the spirituality work, you don't, it's not easy to access. When mm-hmm. I first started doing this work, it wasn't easy. Now you can go on the internet and now you can YouTube and TikTok. It's yeah. everywhere. But before it was really hard to access. So it's like, how do I figure out what this darkness is? What is this? Mm-hmm. And you just kind of had to like go through it and the blind and, you know, go through it blind and figure it out. And so I can see where it's hard work and I can see where a lot of people can't push through it. Cause again, you need tools, you need support. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. That's the biggest thing is support. When I first started one of my coaching programs, that was why I think it did as well as it did was because I created as created it as a community Uh, a community supporting each other as they go through uh, the shadow work process separately. So I had it so everyone could lean on each other. And I think that that was kind of like the game changer when I realized that, you know, uh, I was at first shameful of kind of doing shadow work for others or like coaching for shadow work. At first I was kind of like, it was my own shadow, but (laughs) I I felt shame for doing it really because I was like, should I be doing this? Like, don't they need to do this on their own? And the more I did my, my child, the more I did my own shadow work, (laughs) I might have to pause it. The more I did my own shadow work, uh, the more I really realized um, that, you know, community was a big part of it. Being able to lean on someone, having someone there to hold space for you um, as you kind of go through the, the ebb and flow. Okay, so 
How uh, do you implement self-love into your story? I think through my through my healing journey and my learning journey, I learned a lot about my own gifts, my own strengths. And again, I've learned how to turn vulnerability into strength. Mm-hmm. So I think when I hold space and I, I do sharing circles and I invite people to come and learn, I, I speak my own truth and I tell my own story. But through that story, they hear that self-love through the resilience. Mm-hmm. And they hear that through how I keep fighting for myself and keep fighting for my people and fighting for this purpose. So I, I know that they, they they hear that passion and they, they hear that love not only for myself, but for my people, my community. And when after too, like when they, after I help them through their own learning journey, I teach them that self-love is so important and how much self-love has helped me, you know, how much self-positive, um, being, having positive self-talk and treating myself with love is what's helped me through my learning and healing journey. So not only do I, I share a lot of truth, I share a lot of tools and, and things that worked for me, things that helped me, teachings that helped me that are appropriate to share, um, you know, traditional teachings that came from traditional elders. You know, I, I just share different things that I, I can out of love. Um, and again, it's just, and I think so when, when people come to these workshops and these in sharing circles, they, they hear that self-love um, just through the stories and through the teachings and, and uh, through my own actions. And then I, again, I always remind them, at, and at the end, I always remind them too, you gotta take care of yourself. Like taking care of your mental health is loving yourself and taking care of your mental health is one of the most important things that you can do especially if you're going to embark on a healing journey or embark on a learning journey. And especially if it's a harsh truth that you need to learn and you need to unlearn things and relearn things. Like we got to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves because that's self-love. We got to make sure that we're talking positive to ourselves in that self-love reminding ourselves that we forget to take care of ourselves. And we always love and everything else and respecting everything and everyone else, but we don't usually love and respect ourselves. So I'm always giving that reminder, ending on that reminder and saying, remind, remember, take care of yourself. As I take care, go home and take care of myself and continue to walk my talk as well and continuously love myself so that I can continue to do the work with a good heart and a good mind. Yes. That's the most important part. I do. It's interesting because I do basically the same thing with everyone that I uh, encounter, everyone that I do sessions for. It's always in the end, you know, always reiterate with a positive affirmation. Always tell yourself, you know, um, why you did this work in the first place. It's like when you're in a dark place and all you can see is the negative uh, and you're in that dark place and you go there and you're going there with the intention of healing, with the intention of moving past it, like through it. Um, that is self-love, right? That's putting yourself in a position to do that, to go through it because you love yourself enough to, to get out to the other side. You don't want to live like that anymore. And that is self-love in itself. And we don't really bring that into our conscious awareness enough, I feel. Um, that finding the balance and getting into that energy of healing is challenging as hell, but it's also um, done out of love. Yes, yes. So how can listeners connect with you? 
Uh, they can't. Well, I'm on social media platforms, so they can either Instagram. It's under Amanda Kennedy, but under also my spirit name, Gawesana Hawi. And I'm also on Facebook under the same Gawesana Hawi. And LinkedIn under Amanda Kennedy. And I also have a website. It's www.amandalkennedy.com. Yotani has a website, www.yotani.com, Y-O-T-U-N-I. And, uh, yeah, my email is amandakennedy.oneida at gmail.com. So I'm always looking for anyone that wants to get on my email list for any upcoming uh, online courses that are coming out or workshops, as well as um, they can email if they're interested in volunteering and getting involved with the indigenous communities that got a lot of uh, space for people to come and volunteer and learn and connect with indigenous youth, indigenous women, support how they can. Uh, so yeah, we're always open to connecting with people. And Amazing. Thank you for being on my podcast. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me.